0: come, Father God, and to be, to share of this, Father God, this time and this moment with, with our church. Father God, I pray, Lord, that I am, that uh, prepared rightly, Father God, it's, it's, this is an idea, God, that's been on my heart for a while, and I, I ask you, God, to, to continue to bless me with it now, because I'm not sure, God, I have fully understood everything you're trying to say to me through this, but I know, Father God, how good you are and how gentle and what a teacher you are, Father. So I pray, God, continue to uh, teach me, God, as I attempt to teach this church. I pray, God, now that as we come together, that we love each other, Father God, and that we will we will uh, long to be with each other, Father God, and long to receive the word, God. I pray now all of that in the name of Christ, Lord. Amen. Okay. Um, just as I kind of this is one of those that just going through some things with uh, with. personally and just with others. And I was just kind of drawn to some passages from the Psalms. But um, I guess the biggest one was not actually in the Psalms. And I was drawn almost immediately to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. Um, I'm going to take a second and read those in the English Standard. And then I'm going to read them as they are in the notes. Um, In verse 12, For we now see in a mirror, Dimly, But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's a it's a popular verse. It's also a, a verse that I've leaned on a lot in my understanding of the scriptures. The idea that what we have now is not permanent and that what we are to inherit is going to be infinitely permanent. What we have now one of these days will simply not exist at all in the form in which we see it. But what we inherit um, in the final state of things is going to be forever and we're never going to risk it. We're never going to worry about it. So much of our life is caught up in that idea that, of impermanence. So much of our life is caught up in in being buffeted by tragedy and in trying to avoid the tempest or the, the storms of the tempest because we are so frail. We are always worried about being being sick or being hurt or, or being poor or being without. Those things worry us so much. I, I, I think it's always nice, especially in moments in which we're going to focus for just a little while on the beginning of everything, of how God has knit all this together, what He means by His creation, for us to say, just completely say, that in the end we know it is so far better than anything we've ever lost. So far better. In the end, what we receive is going to be so much better than everything else. And I want to I want to flesh that out with uh, with this verse in the Amplified version. Then a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time, and it's so deep and so rich, and it's hard to understand. And if you don't understand it, you'll totally get it wrong. And I don't mean that we're not intelligent. I just mean he's crafty as a writer. But this is what Paul said. Translated in the Amplified version. First Corinthians 13, 12. For now, in this time of imperfection. Now, that imperfection of the Amplified is a funny way of translating things. But I think it reveals a lot, Mike. The time of imperfection is both the earth and us. Everything created, marked, marred by the deepest imperfection. Um, as we were talking tonight... In the office, that was the idea that we just don't have. And these, I'm, I hate to quote myself, but I, I don't have anybody else to quote this moment. We don't have the hardware to really understand what God is doing right now. If He took eternal time to lay out in our for our in for our finite in, intellects the intricacy of what God is doing with His will, we still couldn't grasp it. We can't keep up with twists and turns in movies. How in the world could we keep up with a plan that involved every single one of the billions of people who've lived and died upon this earth? We can't. It's impossible. We are not the smartest of us. It's just simply not intelligent enough to grasp what God is really trying to do. So when we fumble for the words, when we worry about the future, We have no choice but to fumble and worry because we just can't grasp it. It's not graspable for us. It is, Russell, a pursuit of the infinite by exceedingly finite people. We we try to, to understand what God is doing and we have no hope of doing it. But it's a glorious and beautiful pursuit and we'll spend our lives trying to understand it. I'll spend my life trying to understand the importance of the blood of Christ. Something as basic as the blood. And I can't, I still haven't got it. Still haven't got all of it. So it's okay if there's imperfection. For now in this imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly. Now this is how the writers of the Amplified explained this through kind of pooling together all their resources. They said this, a blurred reflection a riddle, an enigma. I can kind of see, and I'll, I'll compare it to movies again, not not to be too droll with that kind of thing, but I'll compare it to movies again. I knew I was in trouble when they developed these new techniques of filming movies that, Katie, they were moving faster than my eyes could keep up with. Do you know what I mean? Even 10, 15 years ago, they were filming movies with such definition that I couldn't see all of it at the same time. I'd have to go back and watch it multiple times. The theater was hopeless. The screen was just too big for me to be able to see every movement. It seemed like real life, didn't it? Because it felt like a blur. It wasn't slowed down the way we did in the 60s or the 70s. It was sped up to real time so that... So that acts of violence were happening so quickly that you couldn't even keep up with the sword play. I think that's the way I said. I know it's all there and all the information is being presented. It's just so fast that it's now blurry, pansy. I can't keep up with it. I think that's the best understanding of that for me. It's a blurred reflection. It's a riddle, an enigma. What's that enigma? An enigma is that riddle wrapped in a mystery, right? You just there's no hope of deciphering it. It has to wait for another time. Brother Rudy it means that so much that goes on here I'm never going to understand until I'm face to face with Jesus. That doesn't mean I don't try. And doesn't mean that my heart's not drawn to it. it. Doesn't mean that we're not heartbroken for all the things that happens. It just means that if my life depends on finding an answer, I'm going to have to lose my life to get that answer. Fair enough? But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality. Now that's going to be C.S. Lewis's term, here we're going to use in a minute, is that this isn't reality. This is the fantasy. This is the nightmare that we're going to wake up from one of these days. And, 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 and Shay, um, we talked tonight, I won't, won't reveal our conversation, but I, I like this idea that we talked about. You ever have that nightmare that's so intense, you spend about a half a day feeling like it was real? For me, it's always one about somebody getting hurt or passing away. And I have this, and I'm just wept through this dream. And then when I wake up, it feels like it's still going on. I know it's not. I know it's, it is a product of my vivid imagination and all my anxiety and all my angst. But the reality is, I'll take hours to really come to grips with the fact that this did not happen. Because it was one of those nightmares that punches through into our reality, and it felt as real as anything. It wasn't one of those fantasy dreams we have that when we wake up from we know that wasn't real. This felt real. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what I think we're going through right now. We're going through the the horror of a nightmare that feels real. You pinch yourself and you feel it feels real. But what? Paul says, and what C.S. Lewis will play on is the fact that it's not. That in fact, because it's fading and passing away and ending and going to be burned up and rolled up like a scroll, and all those euphemisms God gives it, because that is true, it means it's really not real at all. And then what comes later is actually the real stuff. Heaven and the eternal state of man is the real part of us. The you that rises from the grave one of these days takes its first breath because humans breathe. It's what we do. It eats because we eat. and smells because it's what it means to be humanity, right? It's what makes us different. All those things that we are when they are brought back to life in that perfect form, that's going to be the reality because it's going to be your reality forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, I'm going to show something to you. in a just but I've got to get through this, but I think it makes it even better. When the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Right now, we read about the reality, Joseph. We read about it. God reveals the like of the reality through the printed word on the page. But none of us have experienced it because you've got to die to really get it. And we haven't been there yet. Now, I know in part... Just in fragments. I can grasp fragments. I can get little pieces of it. There are going to be these things I'm so proud of, these little nuggets that it's taken me forever to finally get, and then it's like smoke. It just flies away in comparison to all those things I don't get. I see like I'm Diane, like I'm looking through a keyhole. Do you know what I mean? I get only a sliver, just a tiny little bit of the truth. Because I can only see what my eye can grasp. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I will know fully. Now that's the promise, you hear me? Your, the God's promise to you through Paul in every translation is exactly the same. That you will know fully. Everything that can be known will be known by little old you. We live our lives in a world of secrets. We live our lives in a world we began with those pronouncements, right? When you're older, you'll understand. And we never get older. Because we never really understand, do we? Everything that matters still puzzles us. Still, still, We're still dumbfounded by every single question that really matters. So I don't know when the older was coming. I always was promised I'd get older and I'd know things, and I'm older and I don't know things. Still flummoxed by the simple things of life, much less the complicated things. But God's promise is that I will be fully known. And the way He reveals it to us is, that we will fully know because we've been fully known, because God has known us. And what that means is, um, let me explain. Mr. Dolores, everything you've ever thought or experienced or done, good or bad, the entire, the entirety of your life, from cradle to grave, God completely knows, right? As part of His omniscience. It means He knows you. Absolutely. There's no secret from him, right? When you inherit the kingdom fully, you will know everything as he knows you. There won't be anything that's in the darkness that you don't get. You'll get it all. Now, I know if you're thrilled by that, I'm absolutely thrilled. I'm tired of not having words. Yeah, hey, l- let me give you. I'm um, keep that thought, brother Rudy, because that that plays right into the next thing. I'm going to read C.S. Lewis's quote real real fast. But what you're talking about, I've got a I've got not an answer because you're I respect you too much to so give you an answer. But what I'm going to give you is is a. a is a view of that that I think is going to knock your socks off, because it knocks my socks off. Let me show you. Okay. Um, first off, Paul discusses the difference between what we call the real world and the tangible place in which we exist now with the heavenly sphere which is to come and will dominate our future. C.S. Lewis described the eternal state of man this way when he wrote in one of his most famous treatises. It's called The Great Divorce. Once he had part of that radio program, I can't imagine this guy didn't write this stuff. He just spoke it cold. I'm not not, not smart enough. I have to struggle. And he's just saying great stuff just out of his brain. He says this, hell's a state of mind. You never said a truer word. And every state of mind left to itself, every shutting up of the creature within the dungeon of its own mind is in the end hell. But heaven's not a state of mind. Heaven's a reality itself. All that is fully real is heavenly, for all that can be shaken will be shaken, only the unshakable remains. Now, first off, I gotta correct this. Hell is a real and physical place. Lewis wasn't saying that, even though it seems he was. This is in line with what Lewis had been saying throughout the Great Divorce. What he was making was the point that for the condemned, everything they do becomes more and more and more hellish. When they're in hell. Even their good memories. Are going to be forever tainted. Are going to be forever and infinitely tainted. With the effects of perdition. What that means is. Even if they look back and they think about that time. In which they were generous. And they gave something to somebody. Because they are condemned forever. They're only going to be able to understand it. In the terms of hell. So everything good they did. Is going to be lost in the fire. Everything good they did is going to be destroyed, destroyed by the reality of their hell. So even those things they managed to luckily do that were good, Brother Rudy, are going to just be destroyed by all the bad. All right. It's like they're not going to be able to pull out that cherry pick that one. This is the one thing I did that maybe's just no, it's not. It's all going to be marred by that. But now as bad as that is, it's good for us. What you were saying just a minute ago, what I love about it is this. Heaven has this dual impression. Even the matters of this world, which bear the most indescribable pain for us, will become more heavenly from the perspective of heaven. So, Brother Rudy, even the stuff that we went through, and let's be honest, we went through and we said, Lord, this may kill me. Anybody ever, I, I've said it. God, this, I may die of sorrow. Anybody, I know we people in this room have been through this. Die of sorrow. What Lewis said was this, Miss Diane, that from the, from the perspective of heaven, even that pain is going to feel heavenly. I think it's the process that we find in, in Revelation of the drying up of every tear. Do you know what I mean? Because if you lost your, if you lost your wife or your husband in an incredibly tragic way, or you lost a child, or you lost a a family member, or something terrible like that happened, it's hard to imagine how long it would take to get over that. Right? I could imagine a human being saying, God, um, it's going to take a few billion years for me to get over that because I haven't made a dent in it yet. I'm still sorrowful now. But what Lewis says, wonderfully says, in The Great Divorce is, because I'm seeing it from heaven, everything becomes heavenly. Even the pain becomes heavenly. Even the heartache and the sorrow, the sickness and the poverty and every bad thing. And remember, this is the man who lived through the German Blitzkrieg. He'd, he'd, he'd come of age in so many ways during a time in which literally 72 million people died worldwide from one war. 72 million. It was almost the population of our country at the time. And what happens? He says, you see all that sorrow and all that pain and all that heartache, heartache and all that terror. And what happens? From the perspective of heaven, it feels heavenly. So Pansy, this God's answer to our disappointment, I've talked to you guys before about that idea. I think other than regret, the greatest thing that human beings have to deal with is disappointment. It's when you, it starts to dawn on you that you would always wanted, I don't mean kid disappointment. I don't mean not making the baseball team. Child's play. I mean, when it starts to re- you start to realize that your your life's going to be the way you thought it was going to be. You thought it was going to be this way and it just didn't it didn't happen. I think disappointment is a terrible thing to deal with that gnaws at your soul. How many people go to their grave just almost overcome by disappointment? And what what Lewis so wonderfully says in the great divorce is is that from the from the view, from the perspective of heaven even the greatest regrets and greatest disappointments and greatest heartaches are going to look more and more and more heavenly. Those things that make us shudder a little bit, that make us kind of flinch, do you know what I mean? When you think about it, it just it still brings a pained expression to your face, won't in glory. Not because we've forgotten them, because from the perspective of realizing the goal, from the mountaintop, the mountain still looks huge, doesn't it, Lucas? But it looks huge in a triumphant way. Nobody looks down after climbing Everson saying, I'm scared to go back down. They're celebrating because they've reached the pinnacle. From the perspective of heaven, all this sorrow is going to be nothing. Going to be nothing. So, so, Brother Wood, I'm thankful thank for bringing that up because that was exactly where Lewis took us with this. Um... Now, is the blurred reflection of what could and should be. Then is the more solid and weightier reality of the perfect and everlasting future in Christ. Now, that's the one that's hard to put on. It's hard for us to understand here. I don't blame you because we're so caught up in in this, right? This. This means so much to us. Whether it's my own or it's baby flesh that I get to pinch on. Do you know what I mean? It's it's the flesh. We're so caught in it. And what he says is this is nothing. Disregard it. Don't waste it. Don't just go throw your life away. But think about it time and time again. We're told in the New Testament to do what? Hate our lives in this world. Everything leading up to that statement is fully realized in the Old and New Testaments. The idea that this world is supposed to, in the end, might be just nothing to us. We're supposed to depart how? gladly, because we believe the promises that God has made. Now, I know it's the hardest thing in the world. The biology in us wants us to prove it. In fact, I was talking to some kids today in my class, and we kind of came to this idea. We were reading another dreary, dismal poem, and we're, we're talking about this idea, and they said, one, several of my kids said, look, I'm scared to die, I'm terrified of it. Terrified of death. I said, guys, in theological reality, I am not terrified of death at all. In theological reality, I precisely understand exactly what the final state of my soul is going to be. And to be honest with you, God has just conquered that for me. Now, it took a long time. It took more than 30 years of life for God to bring me to that point where I could say, God, I'm just absolutely set in what you teach about this. But then I told them this and said, But guys, if a grizzly bear jumped through that door right now, I'd be out that window with you. Right? I know where my soul's going to go, but getting eaten up by something is totally different. I am a little wary of the process <laughs> because it might hurt, right? It might just hurt. You might get there and find out, wow, this is totally unpleasant. Okay? Totally unpleasant. This is not at all like it is in the movies, and I make a joke of anything like that at all. I mean, I saw The Revenant. I saw Leonardo DiCaprio almost get eaten by a bear, and it wasn't very good at all. If it's worse than that, I don't want anything to do with it, Stephen. I'm not going to be lunch for anything. But the re- the reality is, while I can embrace the theological truth of this. My biology is still going to run. If a car's coming, right? My biology's still going to move if the piano's falling on top of me, right? I'm not going to say, "Thank you, Lord." Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move. The heart's gonna beat faster, and adrenaline's gonna flow through my veins, and I'm going to. I'm going to move. I'm gonna have be extra fast because while I understand. The depths of this, I don't always. I'm not. It's it's hard to tame the flesh with this. So if you are struggling with that notion, it's okay. God made us to want to preserve this, because if He didn't, and Russell, the theological reality dawned on us, we'd catch the piano. We would without the biological urge to preserve this, and with the theological expansion of the mind that God gives, I wouldn't do that. I would hasten, try to hasten a day that God has set for me. What God says through that biology is, is that a little bit of theology is a really dangerous thing in the life of a human being. We can take God's Word... And twist it to serve our ends. It doesn't mean that heaven's less real. It doesn't mean that I'm less a child of it. It means that God set the point. And 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 brother Mike, if I'm ready to give up or not, it doesn't really matter. Because God decided. And if I want one day, if I want one more day, guess what, Russell? God decided that too. He literally numbered my breaths. I've said that with a lot of folks, and maybe some in this room. God numbers our breaths. However many breaths a person takes in a day, or a week, or a month, or a year, or a lifetime, God knows. And when you've taken all of them, then guess what? There simply are no more. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a cruel thing. It's, a, it's an incredibly beautiful and incredibly merciful thing that God does for us. It is. And it's part of His divine will. It is that. And at the end of that, all of that time... We have to look forward to the glories of his presence. All the things that we've talked about, the realities of that. But the simple truth is, is that if I'm just armed with a the theological reality, I might very well want to cut those breaths in half. But God made us wonderfully to want and desire both. To both desire the theological reality and also preserve this until it's time to give it back to him. Time for it to be his. As believers, we can understand this poignant and immense truth by specifically looking to his word for wisdom. Look, there's, if there's a tragedy, I will say this very quickly as we close. Um, if there's a tragedy in American Christianity, it is the distance from the pew to the book. It's the greatest tragedy we have is that we'll sit in the presence of God's Word and we'll nod along to preaching and we'll say we agree to all of it, but, but buddy, when things get tough, how many people really consult it? How many people go and, and see what God says about family problems or what God says about financial problems or what God says about sickness or death? How many of us go to the word and say, God, you spoke finally in your word? I mean with finality. What does the word say? What does God's word say? What are the examples? And I think that's a huge issue. Look, symbolically, the distance reflects the inability and unwillingness to look to biblical truth for guidance. Through the matters of the heart, which are the most challenging for the individual Christian. The reality is this, that God did not give this to us as a Sunday school aid. Sunday school is a good thing. God did not give this to us to do a daily devotion from. Daily devotions are a good thing. God gave us the book to live our lives by it. To consult on a daily basis as a textbook. Now, now Ms. Beverly, there are issues that are not specifically addressed. I mean, do this right now in the Bible. But for me to face what we call wisdom issues with real wisdom, there's only one real wisdom, and that's biblically informed wisdom, right? Right? it may not touch on every single thing that a man or a woman will face especially as complicated as this world is, some complicated issues of morality come up, don't they? But the Bible gets really close, doesn't it? Thousands of years old and it's still absolutely applicable in the 21st century, isn't it? Absolutely applicable. Everything that that affects us, the Bible speaks to. We have A world of knowledge at our fingertips. The information which frees the soul and empowers the mind. And most of us do not open it when obstacles are thrown in our way. I think that's the biggest thing. I think we'll we'll look we'll call the preacher and we'll call each other and we'll pray and we'll do all those things and the one thing I'm gonna ask is along with that call the preacher and pray and, and, and talk to your friends and do all those things and cry and weep if you have to. Do all those things, but I'm gonna ask this that as a people of the book, as a God fearing people of the book, one of the very first things, what's the Bible say? What's the Bible what's the Bible say about my condition? What's the Bible say about what I'm going through? That's the most important thing. Consider the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, 130, which say the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I think that's the, the, the most important right there. Two things. One, we want the light of wisdom it comes from the unfolding of God's Word. You want to know what to do in your personal life, or in your public life, in your, uh, in, 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 in your job? If you want to know what to do? You need the unfolding of a Word that gives light. It's not an intellectual pursuit. It's learning how to live a life to the glory of God. That's why we study it. But then he says this, and this is for me. It imparts understanding to the simple. I'm simple. More often than not, I am simple-minded. I may talk a lot and be verbose, be chatty. It doesn't matter. The reality is, most of the time, I'm really a simpleton about things. I need understanding. I need God to explain things to me like He would a child. And that's what He promises to do in the Scriptures. God has blessed us with the volumic capabilities of the ever truthful words of the Bible. Given for our uh, building and our blessing, the words give light and make the simple wise. Without them, we'll always fail in some way, in action or thought or emotion. Now, I maybe you're not wrong on all three of those all the time. I think I'm wrong all the time in all three. I do the wrong thing, I think the wrong thing, I feel the wrong thing. Every part of... Of living life messed up. Thoughts, actions, feelings. Now, maybe you're not as bad as me. I bet a lot of you are. You're just not you're not introspective enough yet. We'll get there. You're, you're in tough shape when every part of the equation is is flawed, aren't we? I think about things badly, I feel badly, and then I do the bad the wrong thing. The Bible deals with that issue. Though through the Word of God, we can and do bring Him glory and bring peace to the world around us. It is through the Word of God that that triumvirate of frailty, thought, action, and feeling are brought under the power of God. Through that, let's pray. Father God, I love and adore you. I thank you so much, God, for giving me the opportunity to come and preach this. And I pray God that I preached it well. I thank you, God, for laying it on my heart, and I pray God that it was that I it was exactly what you said, Father God, and I've done exactly as you sent me to do. I pray now, Father God, that we are a church, Father, that through every sermon, every Bible study, every Sunday school class, every time of prayer, every time of service or work or fellowship, through every bit of that, Father God, we are begun- We we are becoming more like you and we're looking more like you. I thank you so much for everything you've done, Father God. I pray, God, especially for our sick, for Jan, Father God, uh, who's facing such a, a difficult time, Father God, but I, I know, God, how good you are, Lord. We surrender that to you, Father God, because we know that our sister is not in better hands, Father God, when we fret and we worry. She is in infinitely perfect hands right now because your love for her, Father God, transcends the ages. And so we pray now, God, that you will do for Jan exactly what she needs. We pray God for a miracle, but we also know, God, good and well, that you, Father God, have always had her best interest, and that we trust her life, Father God, and we trust everything about Jan to you, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.